Thanks for tuning in to Upward Way Podcast. If you're looking to be spiritually blessed, moved, and inspired, there is no doubt you are in the right place. On our show, guests recount their encounter with Christ and how their lives have been transformed through the grace and love of God. And now, please welcome our host. Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guest today is a professor of psychology and researcher in the graduate psychology department at Northern Caribbean University. Hi, Dr. Brown Earl. Welcome to our show. Thank you so very much, Mr. Walters. I really appreciate this opportunity. Could you share with our audience a little about your background and how you came to be a Christian? Okay, well, I'm born in what town, Jamaica, little district, but I grew up in Bamboo, St. Anne, and Brownstown, St. Anne, and I became a baptized member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church when I was 12 years old. I have been I'm a third-generation Seventh-day Adventist, so I grew up in the church. Oh, that, that, that's remarkable, third-generation. So um, tell me about those early years. You said you, you became baptized at age 12. So tell me a little about those early years. What were those like for you? Well, we were active in church because that's what you did from a small community at that time. And we also lived close to church. So Pathfinder, well, there was a Pathfinder program on. We're there in the afternoons for AY. We would be very actively involved. So I have three sisters. Josie, Donnet, and Venice. And so we all would be involved in church. So whether it's reading the scripture, announcing the hymn, helping to lead out in um, any church activities that we're allowed to. I didn't do much singing though. Wasn't the singing type. <laughs> but we were actively all actively involved in all the church-related activities. Had the opportunity to go to private school because my father worked with the Bauxite Company. And they sponsored that. So I went to the local Catholic private school. Then I went on to high school, St. Hilda's High School. School at the time was Servite Convent Preparatory, which is now Servite Preparatory Primary. And then I went to St. Hilda's High School. And after high school, I ended up at a community college doing sixth form. But then I had a marvelous opportunity to go abroad representing the Girl Guides, which I was also actively involved in, to a special needs program, camping activities, and I fell in love with special education, and that became the thrust into psychology. Okay, remarkable. And it, it is so interesting that you mentioned your initial experience serving as a girl guide, where you experienced the um, special needs. Uh, I just want to go back on something you mentioned. You mentioned you being very active in church, and you mentioned being a part of Pathfinders, the Pathfinders movement, and also AY. Now, the reason going back to this is because some persons who listen may not know what the Pathfinders movement is as it relates to the Seventh-day Adventist Church and also what AOI is. So first, you could just shed a little light on what the Pathfinders movement is, and then I will get back to the part about AOI. Thank you. Okay, so the Pathfinder program in the Seventh-day Adventist Church is our youth program. It's a uniformed program. And like Boy Scouts and Girl Guides, we have that same active movement. It is strongly spiritually focused, but heavily activity driven. So we go camping, 
We learn various honors. We learn to make things, to do things, and we do a lot of community service work. Okay, so for our listeners, being a pathfinder, it's some of the training. It, it's similar to say military training, but not in that strict sense. Um, the persons would learn marches and so on. And as she mentioned, they were camping. So you learned survival techniques, among other things. Um, also, you mentioned the AY. And AY stands for Adventist Youth, right? Right. Right. So just tell us a little about the AY. What is this Adventist Youth about? So the Adventist Youth Program is for all youth, whatever age you are. However, it's heavily focused on our young people, 10 to probably 40 years old, are the most active ones that come back in the afternoon program. So we'd come back for Bible class, and after Bible class, we would have at least an hour or two, depending on the time of the year, for our Adventist Youth Program. Here we'll do presentations, we'll listen to presentations, we would do a lot of acting of um, the plays, biblical plays, and it would take the forms, but in some churches you have family groups leading out. In other churches you have what we call bands where you divide the church in different groups and they would lead out. But you would have a strong learning focus about the church and its activities, about community uh, programs, and many invited guests making you aware of what's happening and how you can help the world at large through a spiritually based program. Yes, sounds very exciting. So the youth arm of the church, this is where the young people in the church would lead out each week. Thank you very much for saying that. Okay, um, we know that people invest time, energy and development into their career, their bodies and also their relationships. Sadly, they often neglect that spirit, the spiritual dimension of their lives. Now, how do you actively pursue spiritual growth? Well, for me and my family, morning worship is key. That's something that once we are together, we do. And so you find that it translates, even if I'm overseas or whatever, it just translates that I do that. So morning worship is important. And, you know, we want to encourage morning worship. Some people feel like they have to get out of the bed and go and sit somewhere. No, right there in your bed. You can get your Bible study guides. You can get your scripture reading, sing your songs. But morning worship is key, especially before you go out and venture into the kitchen or venture into another part of the house. You want to make sure that you have that spiritual focus intact. Critically for me is gospel songs. So right now, um, Psalm 34 by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir is, is my song right now. Okay. And so... Gospel songs are a very, very important part of building my spiritual life. And of course, evening worship is very important too. But you know, critically, sir, what's good and wonderful and very good to do, just whisper in a prayer anytime through the day. That really helps with my spiritual growth. I notice as I ask, you know, what do you do? You have mentioned things which are really intentional. Spending time with God is important. And I'm sure that when you spend time with God, then he will, without doubt, pass on certain messages to you. How does he speak to you? Maybe what is his medium that he usually uses to speak to you? Well, God speaks to me through sermons. I have never heard a sermon that has not impacted my life, especially since I'm an adult. And even recently since COVID, you know, watching a lot of these um, sermons online, 
And I'm telling you, my sermon since April has been one of our speakers who from, I think, General Conference. I, I completely forget his name now. But the title of his sermon was Jesus and the Barbecue. And I'm like, Jesus and the Barbecue. I don't know that Bible story. But you remember when Jesus came after he rose yes. and he went and saw the disciples and he actually um, helped them to get, you know, how to fish and actually put their cooked a meal for them. And when the speaker shared and talked about how the same person didn't want anything to do with Jesus, I said, Jesus, imagine that, eh? Jesus had a barbecue for those who were like, okay, we're moving on now with our lives. And I, you know, some people might have said the sermon was boring, but for me, it's the most powerful sermon I've heard it since 2020. Because regardless of what happened, Jesus was still there for those men. So for me, every sermon I hear, there's something in it for me. But also for me, I find people's behavior. Something okay. will happen and somebody says something. I guess probably it's a psychologist in me. Hold on a minute. But what can I learn from that? And I find that God does speak through me, through people's behaviors. And wonderfully for me, scripture passages. Because I'll be reading, I don't know if you, uh, many people have our, a Bible and that in the church we have with the LNG white um, explanations throughout the script for the scripture passages. And so yes. those Bibles that have the explanations, the historical and the geographical explanations, I find God speaks to me through that because I have that mindset to understand history. And so when I understand the history of the place and the geography of the place, it, it impacts me more than just reading it word for word. Yes, that, that is very important. You are, you are talking about the Ellen um, White commentary, Bible commentary. Yes. yes. And um, also for persons who may not be Seventh-day Adventists and they may not be familiar with Ellen White, there are also other Bible commentary that, as you said, it, it, it creates a picture of, of the background. So you understand the historical narrative and it, it creates, as you said, a, a clearer picture in your mind. Wonderful. I am sure as you know, a, a professor, you must have read many books throughout your life, several books. You can pick one or you can answer on, on all three. You know, what book or books or what uh, Bible story or stories or song or songs have had or has had the greatest impact on your faith journey? Okay, in terms of um, Bible verses, Psalm 100, let me tell you, man. That is the scripture passage of the year for me. Make a joyful noise unto yes. the Lord. And Psalm 23, okay. the Lord is my shepherd. So those are those two scripture passages are mine because I believe in making a joyful noise unto the Lord. Yes. And in doing that, remembering that the Lord is my shepherd. So Psalms 100 and Psalm 23, very important to me. But very important to me is Revelation 21, verse 4. And that is the very touching scripture passage for me. Then uh, in terms of books, Steps to Christ can never get old for me. Another book that, I mean, is so powerful for me is The Great Controversy. Interestingly, I was rereading The Great Controversy in around 19, around 2000, right, when I went to visit Germany. And I was on the board of the conference I was on the border of Constance and Kuzlingen, border okay. of Switzerland and Germany. That's where the conference was held. And a part of the tour of that little area 
they talked about where the popes used to come. And believe me, it was referenced in the great controversy. I was like, oh, man, look at that, you know? So the great controversy is a book that it's, and, and people must understand that you don't have to read it thinking that it's a Bible, it's a Bible story. Just read it for the historical, historical nature of it and it will impact your life more powerful than you could ever realize. Yes, those are powerful books. And actually, I think Steps to Christ was one of the first books I read when I became a Christian. Has there ever been a time along your spiritual journey that you believed you you experienced the greatest doubt or maybe the greatest distance from God? And you can take your time to, to answer because sometimes people think that as Christians, we don't have bad days. We don't go through difficult periods. We don't, there's no possibility for doubt and that kind of thing. But even Christ himself, when he was on the cross, felt a sense that he was isolated. Mm -hmm. He did not do anything wrong. So in your um, experience, have you ever had that sort of experience? Well, when I was at university, Howard University, um, I'm a leap of faith kind of person. I'm going to take a chance. Okay. But when I finished my master's, I came home with someone and I was going back up to do my doctorate. And I thought some things would come through for scholarships and things weren't going the way I wanted them to go. And I said, Lord, you're really bringing me back to America and I don't know what is going to happen. Then my visa was okay. Everything was fine. But the tuition now to register for classes, that was a whole nother ballgame. I said, boy, you know what happened? I am going to get on put on my clothes in a lot because I am distressed and I am depressed and there's nobody to call because I don't have any rich relatives now to send me any money or anything. And then I'm there planning now, you know, so you know what, I'm going to have to apply for a work permit to teach because I was a special ed teacher. I had the master's in school psychology by that time. So I said, okay, well, I can certainly um, go and work as a school psychologist in DC, apply for the work permit and that kind of a thing. Well, I said, boy, imagine after going through so nicely with the master's, what will happen now? What are the waters? I put on my clothes, you know, put on my clothes. And I was living around six blocks from the university. And I walk over with a heavy heart. And I say heavy heart, you know, because I don't know what's going to happen now. Okay? And I walk over, walk over. And would you believe that as I stepped through the School of Education door, there was Dr. Sylvia Johnson saying, where have you been? I'm looking for you. How am I going to get you registered if I don't have so and such information? I mean, I was, I just almost given up. No, I mean, believe me. It was another time. If, if home was closed, I'd have packed and gone home already. Probably by the plane fear, you know? But, and I, I just, I mean, so let me tell you how good this, 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 this scholarship opportunity was. Yes, I didn't have to course. join the line for registration. I didn't even have to join the line. She walked me through because she was there the morning looking for me. And I'm there telling God that boy, how come why you're not coming through for me? Huh? So that's my story, sir. Okay. That's under my experience. So you are at home. You are contemplating where to go. You are thinking it's time to throw in the towel. You are saying, God, where is this fund? And while you were, we could say, wasting time debating with God about this, there was God already had someone there with the funds necessary to get you registered. 
I mean, that is amazing. <laughs> amazing. And let me tell you, it was one of the best scholarship opportunities. It was working with the Journal of Negro Education at Howard University. I got the chance to learn editing. I got the chance to learn admin skills, you know, and I almost during the tutorial. God is yeah. amazing. God is truly amazing. There are persons who have left the Christian pathway. Isn't it difficult being a Christian sometimes? Oh, yes. Especially when the multiple persons on this planet you have to deal with. Multiple behaviors. And especially when, I think one of the things that happened to, you know, you expect people to do better. My mother always said, I have high expectations of people. Because my thing underwater is that if you accept a position to lead, Yes. I have this weakness. I figure that you should want to lead and lead well. Yes. And so I find that that's a struggle for me personally, for people who are in leadership positions who take the job willy-nilly. And I, I, I have to work on my patience factor with individuals like that because my theory is don't go for it if you, you don't have the skill set. You know, to me, that is being unchristlike. Currently, I gave up the position of dean at the university to focus largely on my research because I realized that the administration thing is not me specifically. Okay. My strengths lie in my counseling, my strengths lie in my parent education program, and my strengths lie in my research. And so I recognize that, that I'm not an admin kind of a girl. I loved okay. it while I was there. It was interesting and exciting. Strong spiritual growth for me, I can assure you. But I recognize my strength and I move towards my strength. And believe me, I've been happier ever since. I really love what you said. When you take up leadership, you should not be willing it. It cannot be half-hearted. It has to be 100%. Why is it that some people find it so hard to trust God's plan for their lives? Why do they sometimes even walk away from the faith? One of the things that I find is that this planet I call instant gratification planet is a dangerous place. And many times, many times, God wants us to wait. And we're not willing to wait. And so the instant gratification mentality, and so we find it impacting our spouse. The fact that we want to get married, the fact that we want to have children, you know, the things that we want now in my time. And because of that instant gratification, I want it now. We're not being patient with God. We're not being patient and allowing God to do his work. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons I find many people leave church. People, you know, you hear people like, but I'm not of this up there. And you want to say, but what are you doing in the meantime? And I can't answer you, you know. So these are some of the things that I find that are making people leave. They want things done. And sadly so, because we're so selfish. Let me use that word. We want yeah. it done our way. Our way. way. You know, I'll never forget um, Elder Paulson, uh, one of our former church presidents. Some young people were asking questions about music in the church. And he shared on the program, powerful but a simple statement. He said, you must remember that there are many people in the church. They are the children. They are the youth. And they are the adults and the senior adults. And so we can't be fighting about one type of music. You have to remember that there are multiple types of music. And the different types of persons will sing the different music. And you see the irony of life is that the same young people who will complain in 2020. If the Lord tarries until 2040, 
they're going to complain about young people too, you know. That's true. <laughs> so these are the things, you know, that you realize that some people leave the church. We okay. want things right away and we want things our way. You have introduced me to a new term, IGP, instant gratification planet. <laughs> impatience, yes. I wanted to shed a little light note about, you know, what you do in terms of being a psychologist. What does that entail? Uh, my doctorate is in school psychology. Okay. So I specialize in working in the educational aspects of young people. But back home with a limited um, psychologist, um, I practice child psychology and family therapy. I just don't know specifically the education focus. And it is truly a blessing. Also, I find I'm working a lot now because I also have general training in counseling with young women. So young women with post-traumatic stress disorder, young women who are just trying to find their way through this scary world. I find that a lot of my clients that have been referred to me are these young women. So if, if my, my life is fun and exciting as it relates to the mental health issues. And I find that because I have grown up and the Lord has given me experience that have strengthened me along the way, I am, find myself very understanding of women and the struggles and the social issues that they go through day by day. That's amazing. And already you, you are sharing where you started out and where God has, has actually put you to, to serve, we could say family in a general sense, because, you know, that, that is the important thing. When our world was created, you know, one of the institutions that were first established was the family. And we found God saying to our four parents, you know, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. The template was there, but the enemy has done so much to mar and to scatter, to destroy family life. So it is really pleasant to me to hear that one of his, you know, servants has taken on the task to help to restore this institution. Now, what has been one of the greatest obstacles or challenges you have had to overcome, whether in your personal life or as it relates to your professional life in, in dealing with different clients, what has been one of the greatest obstacles that you have had to overcome? Well, one of the greatest obstacles I've had to overcome was working with parents of youth who were just exasperated. They, they just wanted a cure right away. And I had to find myself putting an eclectic approach of techniques to work with the parents. Believe me, it was easier working with the youth who had the mental health disorder. Okay. But the parents who had these great dreams and these great aspirations, you know, you, I, I would have parents come and tell me about, you have a 16-year-old in front of us. And they're telling me about when he was in infant school and he was a valedictorian. I'm like, you know. But I had to understand that it was their aspirations. That was a part of the issue. So it took me a while to work on an approach, an eclectic approach where I could teach those parents cognitive behavioral skills to cope with their expectations. Because many times we have a child who can repeat, you know, very well up to grade three, but when grade four, five and six come and they have to analyze information, they don't have the skills because they might have some learning disabilities and the parents become so sad. That was one of the biggest challenges I had working with parents accepting their children's disability. Yes, you know, earlier I, I was reading from one of Ellen G. White's book. I think it's, it is counsels to parents, students and teachers. And one of the things she outlined is that for 
or parents, while we train our kids, we should not forget our youthfulness. And what she was really saying is that we, we should remember that we were once in that stage. So even though we are mommy and papa or mommy and daddy and we are going to be firm, we should also remember that side so that we are better able to deal with them. And that is something that you have just pointed out, how parents sometimes have these expectations and sometimes to our own personalities, our own impatience is what we have passed yes. on to the children. Yes. And she also outlined too, as I was reading, that you know the children go through different stages and we should respect the different stages and we should observe and nurture. What would surprise most people about you? Well, one thing definitely, I love comedies. I, if you want me to when my time comes, like you give me, put me on YouTube and find one of the silliest, especially the kids ones. I love comedies. They, they, I mean, it, you just have to relax and laugh. You just have to relax and laugh. It, comedies are fun, especially the cartoon kids ones. Oh, Lord, man. Especially the little babies with the adult language. I just love it because they, they, they make it so real sometimes. So I love the comedies, especially the kids' comedies and the kids' cartoon comedy kind of thing. I love that. So I think many people, because they see me as Dr. Brown Earl, the presenter, the lecturer, the administrator, you know, whatever. They don't think that's out of me. But I love comedies. I love silly jokes, fun jokes and so on. I love laughter and that kind of thing. You know, so that's me. And But many people don't expect that because they just see you as the person in front of them at a meeting. You know, they yes. forget that you're human too. <laughs> yes. As, as the saying goes, you know, all work and no play <laughs> makes Jill Adult girl. Now, th this is a question that maybe would come across as surprising. You know, is there something that you're not good at? <laughs> we don't sometimes like to talk about things we are not good at, <laughs> <clears throat> apart from singing. <laughs> oh, you see that? Now I was going to tell you, I sing on a hill far away. The singing thing. My, my, my. Uh, let me tell you this one. No, I was in um church, and me and my sister decided we're going to go and join. There's a small youth group, you know. And they met the announcement, you know. So, of course, we turn up. Man, at the end of the practice, the people let me know that um, that they're not going to ask him to leave, you know. What they don't think. <laughs> really? So, you know, it just become a big family joke. And then at worst now, the Lord blessed me with two wonderful daughters, Anna and Sarah. And they can sing like their father. So, when we're in church, always oh, a mommy toned down. But, man, I love my song, you know. So I sing, I sing, I sing. When I'm when it's okay to sing out, I will sing out. But when I go out, I'm proper and I sing softly. <laughs> Singing is the biggest one. Yeah, as you mentioned that story, I, I remember listening to a sermon by Mark Finley. And he shared something similar where he was saying while well, he was in um, I think it was high school, he was very tall. And he was a captain of the basketball team. So he was saying that the mother superior at the time invited him to say, you know, because you are the captain of the basketball team, it would be good to have you as a part of the choir. It will inspire other students and so on. And mm -hmm. <laughs> he went. But he said, after rehearsal, Mother Superior said to him, okay, we are still going to have you on the bas on the choir, but we're going to keep you for height. So we're going to put you at the back of the choir. <laughs> and when it's time for singing, open your mouth, but don't say anything. Just mouth the things. <laughs> this one has to do with humor as well, you know. Is there ever a time that you had an experience in your life where 
with God that just had you cracking up with laughter. Some, sometimes we don't think about God as, as someone who has that sense of humor, but sometimes we have had some experience and we, we just, at the end, we just find ourselves cracking up with laughter. Have you ever had that experience with God? Well, here I was, um, I, and I was born 2005, and, and there was, we were fine. I was teaching at NCU. My husband was the dean of men, Jeremy Earl, Pastor Jeremy Earl. And we weren't fine. And I was like, okay, well, hmm, don't, uh, here I am now, 40 years old, because I had the first child at 39. So I'm got almost 41 now. <laughs> no baby coming. So I make a plan, you know, because <clears throat> I am bad and bold and misorganized. So I saw my husband that I don't think I'm going to have another child. You know, God was so good and blessed us with a healthy, normal one. And, the, you know, the first child, we, he didn't have any other children either. So I said, I'm not going to push God out because I'm making all the plans now in our elder. So the plan was that after I taught summer school, I would go to my OBGYN and I would have a tubal ligation because I know what I am doing. When I went, sorry, to, I went in and told my doctor, well, the reason I'm here is because I'm not going to have another child because I risk factor, you know, in the, in the medical term, they call it elderly prima governor. That tell you a lot, right? Yes. That's okay. Already get one blessing, not pushing no buttons. My dear sir, after I did the women do a urine test, you know, usually when you go to the OBGYN, the nurse started smiling. <laughs> so she's my friend. So I'm not taking it for anything. She's my friend. So I said, that's my dear, and we chat about other things. When was my turn to go in? The doctor is there congratulating me, and I'm like, on what? He said, you're two months pregnant. I'm like, no, because I am here to schedule my tumor ligation because I have four weeks vacation, and this is what is going to happen. Let me tell you something. A lot of could is laugh. I laugh, I laugh, I laugh. You see, when you think you're in charge, you know, when you think you're in charge, and let me tell you something, that little girl was the quietest pregnancy. I mean, I forgot I was pregnant. I slipped once in Mandeville town and she didn't even move. Wow. When I went to the seven-month ultrasound, she was there shifting. The doctor said, this one going to be feisty. If she kicked me 10 times, it's a miracle. Oh. And let me tell you something now. 13 years later, she is Miss Fire and Fire and Fire. Miss Organizer. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you look back and you laugh and it's a God, you know, he's, you know. Here you had this wonderful Sarah coming along to keep Anna's company and I'm there planning otherwise. God, you are something else. She has proven to be such a blessing in our lives and Anna just loves her sister. So that's my story, sir. That's my story. Refreshing, <laughs> refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. I mean, I could ask you so many questions about that story, but uh, you know, <laughs> You share that, you know, you were saying, okay, one child is enough. And you went in, you know, you found out that they were, you were already pregnant. For, for many people across the world, they would say, no, I'm not going to go ahead with this. You know, I'm going to terminate. Well, when there was a church, we don't support. We're not into that kind yeah. of thing. But what do you have to say to mothers, you know, who, who might, may have had several children, may, may not have been planning and they finding out that they are pregnant would want to terminate. What do would you say to mothers in, in these situations? Families. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy you said families because mother and father. Yes. I want to say to families, God has a plan for every precious, precious life. Every precious life that he gives us. 
And I am we are not here. We are not here to judge anyone. But we just want you to remember, if God allows it to happen, he has a plan in place to support that child more than you can ever imagine. So allow God's blessing. Allow God's plan. That might be the child that saves the family. You know, while I was um, working as a research assistant at Howard University, I met this lady. She had osteogenesis imperfecta. You know, the blessing again is that I worked at a research center for persons with disabilities. That was another powerful experience. And I met this lady at one of our conferences. Osteogenesis imperfecta, the bones are just so soft that they, they're just twist up. And the person is very delicate. If this chop off any little thing, the, the, the bones break. That woman was like the ninth of 10 children, but she was the breadwinner. She had a master's degree in her area of expertise, and she was the one who was providing the care for the parents in their old age. None of the other siblings had achieved the academic success that she had. And I look at life and say, imagine, somebody would have said, oh, throw that one away. And that was the one. So, you know, God, God, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. And there are people who will help you. People just want, you know, and it's so surprising. There are many people there who will help you with the particular resources, the spiritual support. All you need to do is trust God. He's going to make a way through that experience. Trust, trust God. You, you mentioned trusting God, and there are some persons who, when they hear, we talk about God. It's a fairy tale for them. You know, they say God doesn't exist, or if God exists, he's not for us. No. In a conversation of someone who has never heard about God or does not believe in God, what would you tell him or her about God from your experience? Or I could say, you know, who is God to you? When you, let me put it this way, when you wake up in the morning and you can see, you can feel, you can touch when you think of the plants up there, you, you plant a pea and you can reap so much. What wonderful being did all of this for you? Some being did all of this. You plant corn and you reap 10 ears of corn, a few grains and you eat. You, you plant one seed on a pear tree and you reap pear for 40, 50 years. My parents have a pear tree now. That was, we, when we bought that house, I was in first form, right? 11, 12 years old. And I'm 55 now. And it's still there. That being, yeah, through the hurricanes and everything. That being that made those apple trees and everything, that is God. He who does not charge you to breathe the fresh air. Who, when you feel to go to a river or the sea, it is there for you just to go into that is God. And so that is God to me. He who has been there always was provided. And even when I make mistakes, forgives me and gives me chances upon chances upon chances again. That to me is God. Thank you for sharing that. And just for our listeners, you know, when um, Dr. Brown, Dr. Brown Earl mentions uh, peer, across the world, we say avocado, but in Japan, right. we, we, we personalize it. It's pure for us, so just, <laughs> just so you understand. Now, when I read the story of, of Joseph, you know, some parts of the narrative feels as if as though it was a biography of my own life. 
Is there a Bible story or narrative that you feel mirrors your own life story? When I think of Ruth, in you know, in the sense of you just don't know what's going to happen. And so whereas I, I didn't have anybody die or anything like that, but when I think of the imagery of here she is, not knowing what's going to happen, going to a strange place. I have traveled so many times. The blessing I have right now is that I've touched every continent at least one time. And, and I, I think of journeying to, for example, Michael Teachers College, you know, just out of high school, having done one year or six form. When I think of journeying to UWE, um, the year of Gilbert, not knowing what's going to happen, where I'm going to live, all that kind of thing. When I think of journeying to Howard University, doing my master's and my doctorate, that part of the root story, just not knowing, just not knowing, but just stepping out in faith, that's a story I relate to most in terms of leap of faith. Because Ruth, she, I mean, she could have tried to go back home. She could have probably stayed there and married somebody else. She was a young woman. I'm sure somebody would have married her. But that leap of faith to go with her mother. So that part of the Ruth story is in my story. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, you mentioned going to university right after Gilbert. I could say during that period of time. And that was one of the most devastating um, hurricanes to have hit Jamaica. So there was so much uncertainty. And many persons mm. would say, you know, why are you going to leave at this time? Why not wait? Nothing is, is, is there for you. But you mentioned you were willing to take that leap of faith, which is so important. What is one thing you feel God is inviting you to do right now? I mean, if you could start any ministry, you are shared being a part of so many things. But sometimes we say to ourselves, you know, there's something else I'd want to do. What would be that one thing that you would maybe want to do if you'd got a chance to do it right now? Develop a structured mental health serve ministry. If I could have a facility where I could get the persons in, you know, to, to do full-time mental health ministry, that is what I would want to do. Full-time mental health ministry. I have a friend and in conversations with her, that is something I've heard her mention on so many occasions. So maybe we need to arrange for both of you to connect. Good. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Um, my, my final question is, you know, what profession other than your own you, you would like to explore? A writer. I would love, as a matter of fact, that's what I wanted to do, you know. I, when I was in first home and they interview you when you're going to high school, I said a teacher. Okay. My mother was a teacher, so probably that's why. And then I used to like teach little children at Sabbath school sometimes, so I like that. But um, I wanted to just write poetry. When I was in third form, I had a, a, a Mennonite teacher, Mr. Braun from the U.S. He came to work with his church and he taught at St. Hilda's. And I used to write a lot of haikus and I love writing haikus. And I like writing short stories. I would write short stories for my school, little school newspaper. Okay. So that, yes, I would be, I would want to be a writer and just write poems and short stories. That's what I would love to do also. Hopefully for retirement, I can do that. Well, you've said it. I must say thank you for taking the time to join us today. It has been a pleasure talking with you. We hope you have been blessed. And as we leave, just want to say to you, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might.
trust him because there's no God like Jehovah. We have been speaking with Dr. Brown Earl, professor of psychology and researcher in the graduate psychology department at Northern Caribbean University. Do you have any parting words to share with our listeners, Dr. Brown Earl? Friends, remember, celebrate God, dance and sing, and thank God daily. Thank you very much, and may God bless you. Thank you, sir. You've been listening to the Upward Way podcast, the number one audio production show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world. 